anything can change in the contract because when I bought my condo, we were given, what do you call it? The feature sheet or Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest? I'm Sarah Larby, and I'm excited for today's guest, Daniel Char, who is a financing and real estate investing expert based in the Toronto area. He's co-written a book with Kevin Harrington, the original Shark Tank of ABC. And he is going to speak at the Canadian Wealth Summit in March as well with uh, alongside Kevin Hartz and uh, Grant Cardone. So super excited about that and hearing him talk on that Wealth Summit. But we have a chance to talk to him today. And Daniel also covers pre-construction, pre-construction condos, assignments, and how to make money in pre-construction. And as you know, there's different strategies for everybody. This might not be for you. It might be for you. And uh, there's pros and cons to all of them. So I'm excited for today's podcast. Don't forget if you enjoy the podcast and you have not yet, if you wouldn't mind leaving a rating and review, that would be awesome on Apple's podcast or other ways that you listen to it. And also if you have not yet joined the Burr Freedom community, all that information is at sarahlarby.com. Enjoy this week's podcast and see you guys next week. Daniel, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Sarah. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. Awesome. I'm excited to have you on. And uh, can you give us a quick overview of who it is that you are, who is Daniel Char, and you know what do you do in the real estate realm? Absolutely. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a mortgage broker. I've been in the mortgage broker space now for seven years. Uh, originally, I worked for one of the big five banks, been there for eight years. And I saw that there's so much more potential when you become a broker. And it's funny because when I was working for one of the big five banks, well, when we would decline some of the deals that I thought was a no-brainer, a good solid deal, the client would walk away. They would go off, feel hurt. They would say, well, I've been banking with you guys for 20 years. How could you decline this deal as a solid deal? And they would walk away. And then two weeks later, they would get the same deal approved by a broker back to our bank. And I said, what's going on over here? So I had to take a look. So uh, since then, I've uh, been very, very happy. I've uh, been doing the same thing. Uh, sometimes we see deals that are declined through the bank channel that we just need to do a little bit of shuffling or rearranging and we send it right back. So we're helping a lot of clients through multiple facets of uh, finance. Now you're a real estate investor as well. Absolutely. Yes. That's the fun part of my job when I deal with uh, investors. All right, cool. So let, let's talk about your investments to start with. How did you specifically get into real estate investing? So I got into real estate investing uh, when I first became a mortgage broker. Uh, I had no income. I was brand new. So I said, I know what the qualifications are for mortgages. I'm just not going to cut it. <laughs> so I had to buy a pre-construction condo. And uh, it, like I said, it was my first year as a mortgage broker. So I had no income, no money saved up, but I did have a line of credit. So I ended up buying a pre-construction condo. And uh, thankfully, the payments were very low. They were broken up. Uh, most people are aware that most developers 
do five percent, five percent, five percent, five percent over two years. Uh, thankfully, with the developer I signed on with, it was two percent every three or four months. So it was very affordable. So I had a nice line of credit. I would just draw it and take my time to pay down that line and then redraw over time. So uh, that was my first investment property. Very cool. So just to go back a little bit, when you're talking about the 5%, 5%, 5%, that's essentially when you're looking at buying a pre-construction, some of the payment structures that are set in place for an investor or a homeowner to start paying for that that condo as an example, right? So you're, you're saying like, for example, the 5%, you're paying 5% on signing, usually 5% within 30 days. Usually that's how it is. And then at yep. some point within maybe a year or two or three, you get to that 20%, but you're only paying a little bit at a time. So you've got time to save. That's correct. Yeah. So thankfully the developer we signed on with was at 2%. They had a, a special promo. So it made it very affordable for a 26 year old kid with who just started his yeah. business. Very cool. So did you end up closing on that actual condo or did you assign it and sell it? How did that work out? Absolutely. So uh, I closed it. Uh, My girlfriend and I moved in. We we lived in it for a year and then we ended up selling that. Made a good chunk of change. We bought that in, I think it was 2014. So it was at the prime time with, uh, at the time I bought it in 2014, nobody wanted condos. Everybody was buying like detached homes, right? So at that time, I couldn't afford a detached home. So I said, I know nobody's buying condos. Nobody wants it. Why don't I just buy one? Because I don't have to worry about it for four or five years. And if I'm not making the money to close in four or five years, I have no, I shouldn't even be <laughs> buying a condo in the first place, or I shouldn't be in this business. So uh, it actually worked out pretty well. Awesome. So you got the one condo. It sounds like you did while you were living in it. So you, you know, at some point if you sold, there's no capital gains, which is awesome in Canada. Yeah, and then absolutely. where do you go from there when it comes to an investment standpoint? So uh, at the same time, so when I bought that condo, I think it was in October, uh, I actually bought another downtown Toronto condo. That's the one that I'm living in currently. Uh, I bought that one from a builder as well. Uh, that one's a funny story. So it, so I bought the one, the first condo was in October. The second condo was in November and now it's getting cold. And this is back in the days where you actually had to line up outside <laughs> to actually purchase the property. So uh, my real estate friend said, Hey, you want to buy another condo? And I said, man, I just bought one last month. What are you talking about? Like, uh, but at the same time, my, my bank approved me for an additional line of credit. Uh, they pre-approved me. So I said, let me think about it. Let me work the numbers. And I remember they did the Places to Grow Act at that time. It was very fresh. So I did a lot of research into what are the potentials of making money on this in terms of cash flow and, and also in terms of appreciation and what the down payment structure again uh, was for this property. So I worked the numbers and it made a lot of sense to me. So uh, we actually went down uh, downtown on a Friday and I think it was minus 16 degrees with wind chill and <laughs> I asked my grandmother she still had that sleeping bag from <laughs> way back and from years ago so I went over to my grandma's place grabbed the sleeping bag we we went to LCBO picked up a six-pack of beer and we literally waited outside overnight uh, till the next day to buy that condo so uh, that that was my second deal uh, so yeah, so that was the second deal. 
The third deal was uh, another condo. Uh, this was a pre-construction condo where the, the previous buyer was not able to close. So they, I think they lost their job or whatnot. But at the same time, uh, it appreciated significantly. And they had a choice, either get a mortgage or assign it. And I looked at the, the numbers and I think at the time, the value was about 440000 but they were willing to let it go at 367. So I said, wow, like just on signing, I can make that spread. So why not just cough up and take over that loan? So that, that one was a very good deal as well. So most of my experience in purchasing or investment properties has been in the condo game. Like I have another one coming up. Uh, that one is a, uh, another downtown pre-con. Getting a little nervous now because downtown's getting hit <laughs> with the whole COVID situation. Uh, but that one was a very good deal as well. Uh, it was um, a one plus den on the first floor. I bought it for 580,000. It's about 650 square feet. Comes with a parking and a locker. Uh, I like the first floor because it, it allows me to put a tenant in right away, uh, especially when you're going through the occupancy uh, process. You don't have to wait long. And and, and you can maximize your time frame of when you could put in a tenant until when you actually have to fork up the money to close and get a mortgage. So, so been pretty lucky for the last couple of years with those condos. I know uh, with real estate investings, nowadays you want to stay away from condos because you don't really cash flow. Um, but uh, I think I got lucky in the timing uh, in terms of the market price and also the marketability at the time. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, I just want to take a moment and interrupt the podcast to introduce you to my mortgage broker, Dahlia Barsoom, and her team at Streetwise Mortgages. Because everything around us is changing, the world as we know it is not going to be the same. COVID-19, the economic crisis is a time of uncertainty for many of us. And the lending and real estate landscape, they're changing quite rapidly day by day. Today's financing and investment decisions are going to be different than the ones that we made yesterday. Dahlia and her team are going to be able to help us maneuver through all of this. They're property investors themselves, so they've worked with thousands of real estate investors across Ontario, and they have their pulse and their finger on what's happening around us in real time from a real estate financing and investments point of view. Her team of advisors are committed to helping us keep informed and get that up-to-date information. And they're also going to be able to help us navigate through this crisis to also mitigate and minimize any financial distress during this whole transition, and also help us emerge out of this in a strong financial position so that we can leverage ourselves for some great opportunities that are going to be coming to us. They've been able to help many investors in times like this by really planning out your plan for the good, but also for the bad, because these circumstances that are happening are going to be very individual for all of us. And they're going to help navigate three key parts, financial stability, financial agility, and opportunity, and help you manage through those three things. When it comes to stability, how can you enhance your reserves and your liquidity to weather the storm? You're going to have a different plan, so it's important to get that individualized plan. How can you utilize mortgage payment deferrals? Should you? Should you not? Why or why not? 
any debt restructuring opportunities. Those are all things that Dahlia and her team can help you work with. Now, when it comes to financial agility, there's some things that you might want to talk about are how do you make some improvements to your monthly budget so that you can increase your cash flow? Are there any financing tools that you can use to cover some short-term cash flow deficits? When it comes to opportunity, there's going to be some great opportunity that's going to come out of this. How can you set yourself up for success? So her and her team are going to be able to help you maneuver through these things and create a plan, not only for the good times, but also in times like this, so that you can handle the storm and come out ahead. Feel free to reach out to Dahlia and her team at info at streetwisemortgages.com or go to her website, streetwisemortgages.com. And now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting because as you're, as you're saying this, like I'm thinking it's, it's harder to do now for sure. I mean, back then when you were buying pre-construction prices were probably better, correct me if I'm wrong, but better than they are now versus like currently owned condos that you can buy on market that are finished. Absolutely. Right now, if you want to buy a condo, it's, it's better for you to be an end user. You, if you want to buy a condo, you should want to live in that condo. Like it just doesn't make any investment sense right now. So uh, the condos I bought, they were around the $300,000 range. Right. So were you, so, were you, did you sell them or did you still hold them? Like, do you just fill them with a tenant? Then you, you fill them on occupancy. And then afterwards, when you get them, you keep, you keep the tenant in there or like, do you have a plan to sell or what's, what's that all around? about well one of them has a tenant in there one of them is closing in december and i plan to put a tenant in that one uh and one of them i'm living so so we're at three now uh we'll we'll see what happens down the road (laughs) all right sounds good i mean like you know condos aren't necessarily my strategy i I don't think they're horrible i mean like you you did well right so you did well with them because because back i think when you started i did in 2014 so the strategy made sense (laughs) I mean, today, unless you can get like a good discount from the builder before they go on the market to like the public and that kind of stuff, that might make sense. But there are some pros and cons to condos, right? And so what are the pros and cons to the condo industry as a real estate investment? Well, I think the pros is that you, you're really like turnkey. You don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to renovate anything. You know, everything like uh, especially when you're buying pre-construction, you, you know what the floor plan is going to look like, you know what the price is going to look like. Uh, you have a sense of idea of the predictability down in the future, how long you have to save up for the money. So, so if you don't have the money right now, you can save up for four or five years. Uh, or if you don't have the income, you can work for four or five years to generate that income. That's what I did, right? I think the cons is uh, the cash flow. It's negative right now. When I bought it, it was good because I bought condos around the $300,000 range. Now they're around six hundred, seven hundred thousand. dollars 700000 So um, it's really good to sell the condos right now, but I don't think to buy the condos. Uh, so when, when you're buying a condo to rent, you're already negative cash flow right from day one. You, you got to fork out maybe four or $500 from your own pocket from day one. You uh, the maintenance fee for a tenant to live there. But exactly. Tenant, you have to pay for something <laughs> to live there. <laughs> exactly. And you're paying after tax dollars too for them to live there True. too. Yeah. So um that's one thing I don't like. I really don't like the condo fees. Um they just go up like 
So really, can I ask really like how, like, for example, like the ones that you have, just because here's my concern with many condos that were built before 2018. I know Ford changed what Kathleen Wynn ruined, <laughs> but you know, after 2018, November onwards, anything that's new that wasn't a dwelling before is not subject to rent control except for 2021. Right now there is a freeze on everything regardless yeah. because of COVID. But separately from that, things that were built, let's just call it before November of 2018 are subject to rent control. So the government dictates how much you can raise yeah. it by, but then condo fees can go just go up whatever. So can you share like your condo fee increases year over year as an app? Yeah, about one of that, <laughs> one of those condos. So one of the condos that I bought was a hotel condo. So it's not is a typical that, is regular. That on, uh, is that one King Street? No, no, it's, it's the oh. one in Markham. <laughs> so oh. one, one thing that your listeners should uh, hear is anything can change in the contract. Because when I bought my, my condo, we were given, um, what do you call it? The feature sheet or the, uh, the marketing materials. And it says, your condo is going to come with uh, room service. Well, of course, you got to pay for it. But you can request room service. You can request housekeeping. Um, what else can you do? Uh, you're going to have access to the, the hotel swimming pool, the hotel gym, like all this stuff, all this bells and whistles. And it's a four or five star hotel. It looks great. And that's why everybody bought it. It's sold out in a heartbeat. But when it came time to closing, the everything changed on the contract. And all the residents said, what's going on? Like, um, we were promised all these things, but now you're taking it away. And it just became a whole legal battle. And what happened was, so we lost access to the hotel gym. We lost access to entering the hotel. But the funny part is the hotel guests can enter the resident area. How crazy is that? We're living there, but we can't enter a private, sorry, we can't enter a public space, but then the public people can enter a private space. It makes no sense. So what no. ended up happening was uh, everybody on our board had to hire lawyers and it just became a huge legal battle. Within one year of living in that condo. Sorry, before, before, you, go, before you go into the next thing, did you have to pay lawyer costs out of your own pocket? We uh, they gave a one big, bill to all the all the homeowners okay. so they packaged it. it in so there was one big lawsuit okay. and they put a lien on the condo and they registered i think it was a uh, hundred thousand dollar lien sorry it was uh yeah it was like a hundred thousand or three hundred thousand i forgot there, there's 300 residents let me just give you the math uh, a heck of a lot of money regardless lot. right but it was a lot it was three hundred thousand that was the lien they registered a $300,000 lien on the property. So every tenant had, had to, to cover $1,000. And this is one year after moving in. There's, there's all your cash flow potentially when you calculated it, right? Exactly. So, so what did they do after? Sorry, you were going through a few different things there. And I just wanted to make a point. Yeah, we had to pay. <laughs> that was it. There was a lien. So eventually so, so they had what? to pay. So then they open, did they open up the ability for you guys to use the facilities at that point after? Yes, we were now able to use the hotel gym, but yeah. they, they took away a lot of stuff. So when they reserved the hotel gym for hotel guests, there was uh, unlimited towel service. They had fruits and fruits available, like they had a, an apple or, or a pear or an orange that you could just pick up. They had hair ties for women. They had 
what do you call those, uh, headsets, um, the cheap ones, but it was still there. Um, and they had water bottles for you. So once we won the lawsuit and, and we were able to gain access to the hotel gym, they took everything out. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. They took everything out. And even when you go to the pool now, there's no more towel service. So, wow. So how much were your maintenance fees in that condo as an example per month? I think it started at 340 approx uh, when, when we first moved in. And then eventually, I think it's close to four, 420 now. It went up significantly. In how many years? In a year, one year. <laughs> well, there you go. You can't you increase go. that, unfortunately, but no. that percentage amount, you know, on a, on a tenant that's, li- that's going to be living there. So exactly. some downsides for sure. But, you know, it's important to know the pros and cons, and it's important to have a realistic view on like what can actually happen. Because I'll tell you, a lot of people talk like real estate is awesome. Like I'm here today yeah. because of real estate, right? I was able to leave my job because of real estate, but there is crap that happens. Like, you know, and it's just how you go around it and you prepare for that and how do you prepare for that? So, you know, I, I think, and you, you mentioned that when you were talking, but you know, the biggest downsides to me with the fact that you're, you're in a condo is first you have no control. There's no control when it comes to the condos right? The condo boards really dictate everything. They dictate how, you know, how you would rent that, how long you can rent it for. And then they dictate the the maintenance fees. They dictate the increases and also the special assessments. I mean, you guys had to pay for the lawyer, but there's lots of other times when there's other special assessments and there is your cash flow calculation. So the pros, in my opinion, is it's more turnkey and less, you know, maybe overall maintenance overall, but I'll tell you, you know, you have a good team in place and it's not a big deal. So yeah, you don't have a roof necessarily unless the roof needs to be done. Then you got a special assessment, but you know, there's a little bit less to do, but weigh the pros and cons. Cause I think when you did it, Daniel, it made, it made sense. And I'm not saying that don't go buy condos, but do, you know, understand really what the pros and cons are. And the other thing I would, and, and just to go back, cause you're, you're, you know, a mortgage broker. And I want to go back to this when you're buying a condo and your close date is three, you know, three, four, five years out. What happens, Daniel, if somebody loses their <laughs> job, for example, or all of a sudden, um, lenders change because the economy is shifting. So what is a risk to somebody buying a condo that's closing three, four, five years out? Can you share that with that? Your yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, this happens every day. Um, I wouldn't have a business if this never happened. <laughs> um, we see this time and time again, where somebody buys a condo and then five years later, something happened. They might lose their job. They start a new business or they change jobs from a salaried position into a cash only job, or they retire, right? So we always see this happen and we have options. We could take a look at the client's net worth if they have other supplementary income. So if they still have net worth, we could see if we can get them through any net worth programs, um, through even alternative lenders to make a case for them. So uh, some, some of our clients have a lot of net worth, but not a lot of income, but they have a little bit. And as long as we can show that they can service the debt, and, and even especially if it's a tenant that's going to cover the mortgage, then we might still be able to pass that through a traditional lender. Now, if they fully lost a job, uh, they, their credit went down really south, like 500s, 
they're not going to get a bank deal. Absolutely not. But we can still get them something called private deal. That's a non-traditional financing. AKA be ready to spend more on the interest <laughs> and the, the fees. Cause I'll tell you, but it, and with, so with private money, and I'm glad you mentioned it, but I just want to add in there that private money is going to be costly and it is not something you want to be in for a very long time, right? It's like, how quickly can you refinance the private money back and close on something a little bit more traditional, but keep going. That's just my case. Absolutely. You know, it's yeah. good to have access to it, but don't keep it for a long time. It's very expensive. So private money, I, I like to call it as a band-aid. So, so you got an issue and you got a choice. If you lost your job and you got to close that $500,000 condo, and if you don't close, say goodbye to all the deposits that you paid. And so all the deposits, say, all the deposits are gone. All the deposit, you're going to forfeit the deposit, and then you're going to welcome a lawsuit from the developer for not closing that contract. So that's the downside if yeah. you don't close, right? The downside of closing with private money is yes, you got to spend more on the interest rate. You got to spend more on the fees, but it's a bandaid. It's a short-term solution. Eventually yeah. you're going to put a bandaid on the bandaid is going to come off. So what I recommend is if you need private money to close your pre-construction condo, ask for a six month deal or a one year deal so that you have enough time to close, get everything in order and then refinance the loan six months or one year later and, and go back to a traditional finance at let's say 2% through a regular bank. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, I just want to take a quick moment here and pause the podcast to introduce you to one of my favorite contractors, John from Blackjack Contracting Inc. And he has been serving the Niagara, Hamilton and Brantford areas for the past three years and has become the area's legal basement suite renovation specialist. He works with many investors that I know and some newer investors, some more experienced investors, and he converts single family homes into multiple units, as well as my favorite strategy, the Burr strategy. So he's well-versed in those as well to make sure that we can achieve the maximum value of the property and the maximum ARV. He has also completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls, and everywhere in between as well. They do everything from permitting to the design to the final cleaning before listing our rentals for rent or for sale. And he's also a fully licensed electrical contractor. He's certified with ESA and he will take jobs of all sizes. So no job is too big. He's done a complete guts really from the ground up. So super impressed with his work and what he's been doing for fellow investors that I know as well. So if you wanted to reach out, his website is blackjack contractinginc.ca and you can ask him whatever questions you have you can also reach out to him instagram which is at blackjack contracting inc and like he says he knows that investing feels like the biggest gamble of our lives so when you have blackjack on your side the house always wins i will also add that there is currently a ban as of april 4th on new permits so he will still actively work to the law's extent and actively work with investors to get projects planned out for when the ban is lifted so that way you're not necessarily waiting and waiting and waiting so guys 100 percent, i recommend blackjack contracting i will say that Finding the right contractor is sometimes a hassle and getting a good one that works with investors that understands the numbers is going to be critical in our success, especially when doing the Burr strategy. And now back to the show. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
I mean, obviously, if you're going to have to forfeit all your, of your down payment, you might as well, you know, close with, uh, with hard money or private money. So somebody that's just starting out, where can they have access to private money? And, and if it's, you know, through a mortgage broker, as an example, because there's other ways to have access, but let's just say it's through a mortgage broker. How do you guys find them yourselves? Most of our private money investors come from high net worth individuals that have multiple properties and they're looking to de-risk their portfolio. So most of our clients, they, they have more than three or four properties and they're at a turning point where they don't think that they're going to add more value to their portfolio by buying property five, six, seven, eight. Because when you buy, I don't care, 10, 20 properties, at the end of the day, you're still signing as the as the mortgage holder, I mean, you're, you're signing on the debt personally for that debt. So if your tenants don't pay or the market corrects itself, you're on the hook. So what a lot of our private lenders see is that why are we taking on all this risk to say that we have 20 or 30 properties? We have enough money now. Why don't we let somebody else take the risk, let somebody else put the down payment and we'll lend them the money and we'll charge them six, seven, eight percent. And if they don't pay. We're the bank now, so we can take over. We can do a power sale or foreclose. And at the end of the day, if the, the market value drops a bit, it's not coming from the lender's equity. It's coming out from the purchaser's equity. So that's where a lot of our private lenders come from. They're, they're people, they're investors themselves, but they're at a turning point where they don't think adding five more properties makes sense. They rather lend money to somebody else's five properties instead. Right. Okay. So let's just say right now, you know, end of 2020, let's just say going into the beginning of 2021, what is the average that we're seeing out there for private first mortgages and private second mortgages? And, and what is that? Like, of course there's going to be extremes, right? But yeah. what does that yeah. look like in, in general as an average? So, so our rates start at 6% in, in the GTA for a first mortgage. And then we start at 899 for a second mortgage. Of course, there's fees on top, right? And it depends on the loan to value and the strength of the client. Now, we deal with true private lending because a lot of times you'll see ads, even on Facebook, and I'm, I'm sure some of your investors get emails for like private rates at 499 or whatever. But just be careful because I, a lot of times when I read the disclosures, they're asking for a lot of income. They're asking for a lot of stuff that they shouldn't be asking for. A true private lender will not ask for income. They're, they're going to base their sole decision on the property. They're, they want to look at the location of the property, the type of property, the condition of the property, the loan to value, the marketability. Like that's what they're going to be looking at. So I see a lot of times there's a lot of ads out there and they're like, Hey, we got private money. We got $20 million, but I want to see your NOAs. I want to see your T4. I'm like, if, if the NOAs and the T4 make sense, we wouldn't be coming to the you. The bank would just take it. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> we don't need you if we got the T4s and the NOAs. Yeah. So, right? so, so just to recap. So first was around what you said? Around 6%. So 599, 599, 599 starting. percent. And then what about a yeah. second mortgage? 899 starting. Okay. So 899 yeah. and then you've got fees. Can we talk about the fees for a second and what these fees are and roughly what that means in the grand scheme of things and numbers? Absolutely. So uh, you're going to have to pay out of pocket uh, your appraisal fees. So they range from 350 to $500, depending on the location of your property. Or more if it's a commercial property. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. So, so yes, commercial is always more. 
but for residential, you're looking around 350 to $500, and that's gonna be your out-of-pocket expense. Uh, your legal fees, usually around $3,500, and that's including your lawyer and the lender's lawyer. So when you're borrowing private money, you have to cover the lender's lawyer. So it's about $3,500. So your out-of-pocket right off the bat is probably $1,000 for the lawyer's retainer to start the paperwork and the $500 or $350 to $500 uh, appraisal fee. So probably $1,500. That's your out-of-pocket. Everything else is coming from the, the mortgage uh, package. So lender fee is usually a percentage of the deal and also broker fee. We're seeing approximately about two to three percent on the lender fee, depending on the deal, and usually one to one and a half broker fee, depending on the deal. And when I say depending on the deal, it's depending on the size of the mortgage and 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 how hard the deal is. Um, okay. If you're deal, yeah. So if you're doing a deal in Timbuktu, expect more on the fees because there's a little bit more risk, right? So private money is all about risk and reward. So Right. So I want to go back though, like you're talking about points. So 1% or one point rather is $1,000 on every hundred thousand that is borrowed. Is that correct? That's correct. So if you're borrowing half a million dollars and, and a broker charges you 1%, that's $5,000 broker fee. So yeah, just, just keep that in mind if you got, when you guys are looking at rates, because it's not just the rates, the fees, especially if you are going to borrow for a shorter amount of time, the fees, like having a lower rate and fees may not be as good as having a higher rate and no fees if you're going to keep it for like less than six months. So always run the math with your mortgage broker on that. Absolutely. You may, you may be shocked that a 6% versus a 12% may work better in your favor to go for the 12%, depending on how quickly yeah. you can get out of that private lo uh, loan. Absolutely. And, and private loans are, are just negotiated. So uh, if you're a client that knows you want the deal for six months, talk to your mortgage broker and say, this is what my goals are and how do we make it flexible for my needs? So there, it's not a very standard guideline. You can make it up as you go. So if you need it for six months, what we, what we tend to do is we sign a one-year deal, but we have a clause in there that says open after six months. Because if a client comes to me for a six-month mortgage, we, we know how time flies. It flies right by us, right? And if, especially if you're trying to do renovations, sometimes you're going to have, you're going to go over the time. Uh, I've seen that all the time where you go over schedule. So if a client asks me for a six month mortgage, it doesn't make sense for me to give them six months because they might run out of time. And then their, their next option is to refinance at the six month mark or to renew the deal at six months. So instead, what we do is we give them a full year, 12 months, but we stick a clause in there that says it's open at six months with no penalties at all. So now you get the flexibility. You get the six months you're asking for, but if you need more time, it's there for you. If you don't need the time, no problem. Pay it out and there's no fees. Yeah, absolutely. No prepayment penalty essentially from month seven or six. That's correct. Onwards to, to the one year mark. So that's a great way to do it. I mean, it, it's definitely important. This is why I always advertise, you know, work with a mortgage broker. Don't go to the, the bank directly. I mean, you used to work at the bank yourself. And, you know, I always say the bank, yeah. and the bank managers and the people that you're going to meet and sit down with, like they don't work for you like a mortgage broker, right? They, they work for themselves, aka the bank. 
and they try to sell you some things that pad their pockets, right? Look at like mortgage insurance. Like how many times when you worked at the bank, did you have to like have a quota on selling mortgage insurance to people? Not because it was in their best interest, but because (laughs) it worked in the bank's best interest. That's correct. Uh, We were always forced to sell mortgage insurance. Uh, It didn't make sense. And for those who doesn't know what mortgage insurance is, it covers the bank. It doesn't cover you and your family. So if you were to pass away, they would just wipe out the remaining balance of the mortgage. So it doesn't protect your family. It protects the bank. And at the same time, it's a declining balance. So they're going to underwrite you at the time of the application. So whatever your age is, compared to what the mortgage amount is. And that's how they're going to whip out the premium. Now the premium never changes. So if you're paying, let's say a hundred bucks a month, that hundred dollars a month never changes for the life of the mortgage at all. But as you pay down your mortgage, your balance actually starts to decrease. So what you're getting coverage for actually goes down over time. So you're paying a hundred dollars a month for, for five years. Oh, at after five years, you owe a lot less on your mortgage. You're not really protecting yourself anymore, right? So I think people need to get term insurance if they want to get insured and they, they want to have that backup. And the other thing too with mortgage insurance, like, yeah, you're saying that they, they underwrite it, but they don't really underwrite it. Like they ask That's correct. a series of like three questions. And yeah. so it's very easy that if you have a claim, they're going to go back not saying every single time, but oftentimes they're going to try to go back and see how they can have a loophole not to pay that out. Anyways, worst thing I've ever like (laughs) heard of is mortgage insurance. I hate it with a passion. I'm very like angry when people try to like sell, you know, investors mortgage insurance because it just (laughs) doesn't make any sense. But you know, it's, it's just, it's important for us to know because I'll, I'll tell you and, and you know, and you, you work at the bank yourself, but the bank is not there to help you. Unfortunately, they are not there to help you. That, that is hundred percent true. The bank works for themselves and a broker actually works for you because the broker doesn't get paid until your deal closes. The bank employee, whether you, you, you close a deal or not, they're on salary. So it doesn't matter. And they might have a quota here and there, but their income is not affected by their salary. When you go to a broker, their full income is affected by your, your ability to close and getting you the best deal. So if they don't get you the best deal and if they don't close a deal, they don't get paid. And what a broker does is shop your deal for you so that you don't have to do all that shopping yourself. Right. And, and I think it's the best term, uh, form of leverage because most people who get into investing, they didn't get into the game to become a contractor, to become a property manager. You get into real estate investing to make money passively. That's the whole point, right? So why are you going to 30 banks on your own time when you have a full-time job like it, or, or you're running a business and you yourself, you're going to six different or seven different banks trying to find the best rate. It makes no sense. So I think one of the best forms of leverage, just like getting a property manager or hiring a contractor to do the contracting work is to hire a mortgage broker to find the financing for you so that you're hands free. Your, your job is to run the numbers, buy the house and that's it. And, yeah. and sign. That's your job. So, and, and you talked about best rates, guys, who cares about the best rates? I'll tell you whether I have 2.3, 2.4, 2.5, like it's all cheap money. Trust me. It's all cheap money. What's more important for me is the ability to refinance, the ability to add an advanceable line of credit. If I need to, the ability to refinance within a certain time frame. 
um, you know, the HELOC ability, like there's so many other things, the term, the, the you know, 20% down payment, not more than that, 30 year AM, the terms yeah. of the mortgage are so much more important than the stupid interest rate. Because at the end of the day, look, if it's two or 2.5 or three, like really ultimately it doesn't really fully matter. The rest is going to be so much more important in scaling. I'm, I'm so happy that you mentioned that because the rates don't matter at all. It's the flexibility that actually matters and, and your goals. Because I got clients that pay 15%, right? They're, they're scaling their business and, and they have no shame paying 15%. And why is that? Because they're making 50%. They're paying 15 to make 50, right? So if the numbers work, the numbers work. So uh, I wouldn't be too, too worried about paying 1.9, 2%, 2.3, as long as the deal works and, and somebody else is paying your mortgage and, and there's a, a, a appreciation potential, you can write off the interest. If it makes sense, go ahead with it. Don't lose a deal because of a rate. Because I've seen that happen so many times. People were nickel and diming me. They haven't bought a house yet. They're, they're fighting me on the rates and they lost a $300,000 opportunity. So I had a couple who wanted to get pre-approved and try to purchase this condo, the same one that I, I bought. And they wanted to get the rate locked down before they buy the property. And I said, all you need is a pre-approval. Buy the property, let me get you the rate. And they, they missed the boat, the, the condo was sold out and they lost the boat. And now that condo went up $300,000. So I always tell people, don't lose $300,000 over 1% or half a percent. Yeah, but just look at, look at the flexibility, look at the control and just the overall terms of what that mortgage will allow you to do. So I think that's just so much more important. Daniel, you know, the next part of the podcast, I mean, I, I keep talking to you for hours and hours, but the next part of the podcast is our lightning round. So I'm going to ask you five questions. You're going to give me sure. the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay. Yes, let's do All it. Right. Question number one, Daniel, what is your favorite real estate investing book? Does Rich Dad Poor Dad count? No, right? Yeah, it's a real estate investing book. Yeah. Okay. That's does, probably right? the one that people mention the most too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Number two, I don't know if you listen to podcasts, but if you do, what is the your favorite podcast or the one that you listen to the most? Anything from Grant Cardone. I'm a huge Grant Cardone fan. All right. Awesome. Number three, what do you do for fun aside from work and real estate? I play heavy metal guitar. Very cool. <laughs> Number four, if you lost all your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? I would start building a team and, and uh, get cash flowing properties right away outside of the GTA. All right. Awesome. And last question, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it? If they got $50,000, let's see. I think they would have to JV. <laughs> they right. should JV partner. <laughs> there you go, JV. So Daniel, where can my listeners reach out if they wanted to know more about you or speak to you? You can reach me on Instagram at the Daniel Char, T-H-E, Daniel Char, D-A-N-I-E-L-C-H-A-R, or YouTube, Daniel Char. Awesome. And I always ask this at the end, any final last tips or words of advice? Absolutely. Uh, never look never base your full decision on the rate and the fees on a deal look at the deal as a whole because the cost is only one component just like how your roi is one component so look at the full picture of a deal before you sign on the dotted line 
or they know altogether. Awesome. Thank you so much, Daniel, for being on the show. It was great to have you. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.